everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host, Dr. Shadi Manicherry, and today's episode is all about guided biofilm therapy with Claire Berry, who is a multi-award winning hygienist and a trainer for EMS. This episode is very kindly brought to you by EMS. And now without further ado, let's get into it. Claire, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm excited to talk about this topic because I don't think we've covered anything similar to this um, recently, at least. So it would be a good topic to talk about. But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? So my name's Claire Louise. I'm a dental hygienist. That always makes me sound like I'm in an AA meeting when I say that. My name's Claire Louise. I'm a, I'm a dental hygienist. Um, I qualified in 2009 um, whilst I was serving in the army, so that's a different route in. And uh, yeah, since then, uh, left the army, now working in private practice in Leeds, and I'm a KOL for OLB, I'm a Swiss Dental Academy trainer for EMS, um, sit on the editorial board for Clinical Dentistry magazine, so I've got some published work in consumer and um, industry press as well, so I like to do a spot of writing. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. That's very exciting. I had no idea about this. What was it like being in the army? Um, oh, I loved it. And if I wasn't too old now, I'd definitely go back to it. It was a great life. Really, really great. They don't actually have hygienists in the army anymore. They use like locums. But um, being a hygienist in the army was was great. Yeah. All the perks of being a soldier and living like a bit of a more of a civilian life at the same time. So it was great. <laughs> and how does it compare to being in private practice now? Because I imagine it's it's very different in terms of your the privileges that you have, the kind of kit that you have and get to use. I can't imagine you have all the toys you want to play with in the army um, as a dental hygienist. So yeah, it has perks um, in the respect that you um, you have long appointments. You can give patients the TPs and everything they need. No one's paying for treatment. Um, if, if not, you're, you're treating people between the ages of like 18 to like 55. Generally, obviously, there's um, some older, but generally fit, healthy people. And then I remember <laughs> my first healthy. patient. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? Great <laughs> life. And then um, when I left the army, my first patient, and I'll always remember this, my first patient in um, civilian life was a 97-year-old woman. And I was just suddenly like, I don't know how to be a hygienist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that made things different. And then obviously patients are paying for treatment at that point as well. So it's um, it made things very, very different. And then I went from having like long appointments to 15, 20 minute appointments. And I was like, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've managed now to adapt um, my my work to be the length of appointments I want. And um, and that's all fantastic now. But yeah, very, very different when I first came out of the army. I can imagine. And what led you to go from, so you go to the army and then you go into private practice. It's a very steep learning curve. And then for you to get into, you know, partnering up with things like Oral-B, um, EMS um, and all of that. How did you get into that side of things? Yeah, so um Again, like the army kind of set the foundation for that as well a little bit. So obviously you can imagine when you're in the army, um, you're always looking for your next promotion. So, you know, you're a corporal. What, what courses do I need to do to become a sergeant? What courses do I need to do to become like a staff sergeant? You know, like working through the ranks. So you're very, um, very sort of promotion driven, as, aspirational. You know, you're, you're looking at your career and like where you want to lead. So there's no sort of stagnation. Mm. And then uh, when I got out of the army, that was it all that had gone and that didn't sit very well with me I, I I was like you know now I'm a hygienist you're kind of 
where's the growth where's the promotion where's the um you know the the pay increase where's all of that so I learned very quickly that I had to pave my way myself and then obviously um I also learned very quickly that I was being self-employed meant I was a business owner so I treated it as a business and if I'm being totally honest I decided I was going to leave dentistry because coming out of the army and then going in um, into private practice I was like wow you know this is this is not how I wanted to treat patients. I was um, a scale and polish machine, effectively. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I knew that's not, that's not going to treat disease and stabilize disease and prevent mm-hmm. disease. So um, I was planning on leaving, but I went on a GBT course. And I was like, this is how I want to treat my patients. This is how it should be done. So I actually you know, treated myself as a business. I invested in my business. Um, went ahead and was like, this is, you know, I need to invest in this kit in order to be able to perform this treatment because I, I felt like I couldn't rely on a practice to just mm. do that for me. I'm going to have to invest in myself. And then it all kind of went from there. I think, you know, that was a little bit unheard of. And um, so I got talking to the right people at EMS and, you know, when I was on the course, luckily the course I was on had the big wigs there at the same time. So, um, so yeah, I got chatting to them and I was like, this is how I'm going to do things. I think they were a bit like, well, that's different. And yeah, that kind of grew organically from that. I became an SDA trainer because I, you know, was a big believer in GBT. I'm very lucky. I've paved my own career path and I've made my own way. And I've now made, I feel like I've promoted myself and I can see where my growth is and, and where I need to go again for like my next bit of growth. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's all kind of down to the army being, you know, putting me in a position where I want to grow as a person and in my career. Mm-hmm. that's so inspiring to hear because I feel like I, I'm the same I can't stay in one place for too long and I think I quickly realized that actually nothing's going to be given to you in the profession that we're in it's all about what you want to get out of it and you do have to invest you know financially and otherwise initially in order to be able to get out of it what you want um, but the good thing is that it has that flexibility of what you put in, you get out. And I think some some people, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, some people are comfortable going steady and knowing things are going to be stable and consistency and all of that. But some of us want that change, want that idea of a promotion and the next step. And, you know, promotion in the corporate world, for example, is very different to what we do. Um, you know, in the hospital system, for example, there is a hierarchy, there's a clear promotion. Whereas if you're in practice, it's difficult to know where that is and, you know, how that takes shape. So that's very, very inspiring to hear. How long ago did all of this start for you? So I left the army in 2012, uh, 2013, I think it was. Um, and yeah, kind of since then just steadily grew. I think in terms of um, how, it, how it rapidly sort of started picking up, I started doing GBT in 2018. Um, and that's, I think, really where my my passion for dentistry reignited or my passion for hygiene reignited and um, and then grew from there. So from 2018 mainly is where I felt like I've really sort of had that um, that progression. Is the beginning of when all of this was coming out. Mm, yeah. So yeah. early, early days. Yeah. Nice. OK, exciting. So you got to experience the full scope of it. And now it must be so nice to see everyone using it and talking about it. Yeah, it, and it deserves the amount of um, buzz around it because, like, I owe a lot down to um, investing in that, starting doing GBT, and then that opened my eyes up to what hygiene could be. 
Yeah. Um, so now I do a lot of work on like systemic health links and um, I bring that into my lectures and I'm a massive, massive believer in in how the, the um, oral health links with the systemic health and how if we want to be optimally healthy, we have to be able to, um, you know, keep our oral health in check and how hygienists should be seen by every single patient, you know, the um, or the patient, every patient should see a hygienist rather and it should be part of every um, patient's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in that and kind of GBT started all that for me so so yeah I've got a lot to thank that for really. So you mentioned a skin and polish machine at the yeah. beginning and I can relate to that because I think working in the NHS and you know with dentists doing skin and polish and you know not every single patient does see a hygienist um, and I don't completely agree with that and I think it's very important that they do see the hygienist but why would you say particularly that's an important thing for patients to see the dentist for, you know, check up for their teeth? But also in particular, why is it important for every dental patient to be seen by a, a therapist or hygienist regularly? Mm. So my belief is every single patient needs to see a hygienist in sickness and in health. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, so it's not that we don't trust patients because we do. In hygienists, we do a fantastic job giving great um, coaching, education. Our treatments are fantastic. And it's not that we don't trust them. It's just that there are so many areas in the mouth that's inaccessible for a patient mm-hmm. that they need that professional biofilm management alongside their home care. Um, you know, it's uh, we we call it oral health optimization at my practice. So we're, we we don't perform scale and polishes. We wanted to absolutely eradicate that whole like S and P scale and polish terminology because if we change the language, we change the narrative. Because, like I say, it's not that they don't do well it's just that they need that professional biofilm management at home as well so um so yeah and then you know things like implants for example it's impossible to clean an implant at home and so they need that professional management um alongside their home care uh so yeah every patient many many healthcare professionals i'm the worst when it comes to my own teeth i haven't had a proper checkup in a good 12 years I want to say probably during dental school I mean occasionally if there's time I'll get someone to take my x-rays but I was of the same mindset that you know because I'm so good I should be amazing at brushing my teeth so I don't need to see a hygienist and occasionally you know if I have time I will go and see our hygienist and she always tells me off because there are areas that I am missing and it's not about somebody not being good but it's just about making sure that you have a tailored sort of routine for you and your hygienist can have a look at everything and be able to tell you where you need to focus on like for example my hygienist was telling me that near the gum you do miss it and it's because I I am always in a rush I do brush my teeth twice a day but I'm always in a rush so I'm one of those people who moves my toothbrush around and she was like no you need to keep it for three seconds on every single single tooth for you to be able to get the plaque off and even I didn't know this you know so it's just about seeing your hygienist regularly to just get that reminder and just motivate you again, as well as remove all the stuff that you can't physically reach. You know, if there's um, if there's wisdom teeth all the way at the back, it's really, really awkward for patients to get to. If there's implants, if there's restorations, um, I just think it's it's it is really necessary, and we do see the difference. Um, and with something like um, GBT, you really see exactly where they're missing, and you can show them. You mentioned oral health optimization. Uh, and I know that sounds like a very fancy word. What does it actually mean? So like I said, we wanted to change um, change the language and change the narrative. We didn't want, at our practice, we didn't want patients to sort of say, I'm seeing the hygienist for a skin polish and feel like they knew what they were getting. Um, as part of the journey at our practice, every patient without fail sees the hygienist. It's kind of like the next step for every single treatment. So we say optimization before restoration. 
because one, we want great treatment outcomes for the, for the patients. We want um, margins that are like static in health. So for example, composite bonding, veneers, crowns, you want a margin, a gingival margin that's like absolutely static in health. Inflammation is gonna fluctuate, it's gonna change. So you do a treatment up to an inflamed margin, that margin is not staying there and your treatment hasn't had the best outcomes. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, like implants, they need great foundations. You need to make sure the patient's committed and compliant and has the ability, the dexterity to be able to clean an implant afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it, it proves almost that, you know, yeah, the foundations are now healthy. They're, they're able and willing to, to do the work. And then when I put a, uh, an implant in, we're, um, we're going we're gonna to get good results from that. So we wanted the patient to not be like, oh, I'm going in to have calculus removal. Because what we need to remember is a scale and polish is all about stain and calculus well that's what the patient's thinking and that's kind of what the clinician will be thinking as well oral health optimization it implies education it implies a journey it implies more than one appointment it implies um we've got to get to a certain point before we can start anything else and then it implies um kind of like long-term lifelong care as well because once you get to optimization then you want to maintain optimization mm -hmm. so it takes away any former like idea or notion of what a hygienist is going to perform for you and we also don't call me a hygienist either we call me a dental health expert or oral health expert because I'm the one in the practice with the expertise in oral health care and therefore um, it sort of gives a bit of gravitas to my department it makes them realize like, one if they've seen a hygienist before they're not getting that scale and polish idea in their head they're like oh or a health expert she's an expert she's mm -hmm. the one that's going to optimize my health so that I'm going to get the best treatment outcomes mm -hmm. It just changes the, the mindset of the patients, but also changes the mindset of the referring clinicians as well, because, you know, they're used to hygienists and scale and polishes and using that terminology. And now all of a sudden they're thinking of health, systemic health, you know, static margins, making their treatment last longer, making their treatment work better. You know, it's thinking proactively and preventatively instead of reactively. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a massive game changer in our practice and it gives them the kind of the, the justification as well to send a patient to me every single time, instead of it being like scale and polish with the hygienist. It's like, well, actually your health comes first. Every single patient needs to be healthy. Therefore, every single patient sees the hygienist mm -hmm. or, or a health expert. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, changing the narrative does change your mindset on it and the mentality and it's just about training ourselves as healthcare professionals and also our patients because I think you subconsciously give off the vibe of you know if it's just going to see the hygienist to get rid of some calculus and then come back it's oral health optimization even when I say it for example to me it doesn't sound like you're treating necessarily disease so it does it's not necessarily that you have to be unhealthy to go and see um, this oral health expert it has it's it's routine maintenance you know, like yeah. with anything else in the body, for example, you have to be healthy first to be able to build the foundations. You know, as we know, cosmetic treatment that's really popular now, especially since COVID, there's no point doing it if they're if the gums are not healthy, if the patient's not maintaining them. You know, it's just going to cause more problems for them. And I'm I've changed. You know, the more we learn, for example, we change the way we we train our patients as well. The more we learn it, you know, in terms of evidence base, it changes. And I think it's really important for them to understand that actually, unless you're maintaining the work that you're having done, it's such a waste of everything. And you can actually cause more problems than not if you're not maintaining the work that you've had done. And, you know, you've spent all this money and effort, for example, with implants. It's a big investment for patients to be able to spend all that money. And then if they're not maintaining it and they get problems and they fail, then it's really such a shame. Mm, exactly. 
it's almost like if you you go to do someone's implant and you haven't um considered optimizing their health before during and after the implant you're almost saying i'll take your money but mm. i'm not going to um invest I'm not guaranteeing in- that this is thing yeah 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 and then also as well further to that investing in the kit necessary in order to maintain that implant so as a practice if you're putting those implants in but not investing in the department who's going to help you maintain those implants you're almost again saying i'll do the implants and i'll take your money for that but we're not going to invest in the in the kit in order to be able to maintain that effectively um and again i think there's there's something in that as well and if anything in um you know uh maintaining all of this you do actually safeguard your own success rates as well. You're able to say that actually at this practice, we do this many implants and success rates is, is this um, in our practice. And if you're maintaining them properly, that can be higher than the average, you know, so you are investing in your own reputation as well um, mm-hmm. with all the new technology that you use. Um, so I know in dentistry, we are obviously very big on evidence-based dentistry and everything that we do is based on the evidence. So what is a current evidence when it comes to a dental hygiene appointment? I know we've reinforced again and again, um in this conversation that actually it's not just about a skin and polish it's so much more than that um and you know in certain circumstances there are time limitations but say we have the ideal environment so for example what you've created now in your own practice what does a dental hygiene appointment consist of and i i think i know because i've had one one recently and i've been through the whole motions because i didn't even know you know i send my patients um to our hygienist in the practice but i don't necessarily know exactly what they go through um but i want to know for so for your own appointments when when a patient comes to see you what is that what are you focusing on from start to finish of that appointment so um fundamentally what we do know is that calculus doesn't cause disease so we definitely 100% need to not be focusing on on something that doesn't cause disease so what's great about um my treatments i'm a gbt clinician is that it fundamentally focuses on the thing that causes disease which is biofilm um, so we highlight the biofilm. Axelson and Lindy, they they showed that actually it's biofilm that is the culprit of disease. And so that's what we need to really focus our attention on, focus on making sure the patient knows what their role is at home as well. So we flip the appointment round and we, we highlight the biofilm or disclose. I never call it disclose and I always call it highlighting the biofilm. Everyone's pattern of biofilm is different. So it allows me to be able to, if I'm doing my oral hygiene instruction based on their pattern of biofilm, Mm -hmm. then it's bespoke to the patient. It's specific for their needs and specific for them. So it might start off quite generalized at the first appointment. And then as time goes on and we see the patients that like recalls that specific to their needs, eventually it might become more and more localized until eventually, hopefully we don't need to give them oral hygiene instruction. We're just then maintaining that professional biofilm removal alongside what they're doing at home. So, um, so definitely my appointments are biofilm focused mm-hmm. and as a byproduct of good treatment, I will get rid of the calculus. It gets in the way of good treatment. It gets in the way of good home care and it's also fun to remove. So I am going to get rid of it. Um, but yeah, the, the appointment starts off obviously after assessments It's going to be highlight the biofilm or disclose. It's going to be oral hygiene instruction bespoke to the patient based on their needs. And then it's going to be removal of the biofilm, then removal of any um, plaque retentive factors like calculus, which is a plaque retentive factor. And then I actually apply fluoride to all my patients as well. So we remineralize every time. So I'm just basically going through the GBT protocol here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, every single patient comes back for a recall um, because, as I said, every patient needs to see a hygienist in sickness and health. And in health. Mm-hmm. What we need to remember is, um, and what I think sometimes we forget, we use the word plaque, we use the word biofilm. But what we forget is, and overlook really, is that biofilm is never ending in the sense that it's like a nemesis. 
Mm-hmm. As soon as you remove it, within 20 minutes, it reaccumulates again, or it starts to reaccumulate the early colonizers, and then eventually it matures and becomes something that can initiate disease. No one's exempt from that. We're not exempt from that just because we're dental, as you've already pointed out, you know, areas you need to work on too. And so because it's never ending, because it's constantly reforming, that's why we need to be helping our patients. That's why we need to focus on the biofilm, because we need to turn over that biofilm in the early stages before it matures. Mm-hmm. And I think we often forget that. I think we often think, you know, um, we get rid of the biofilm and then patients then, because you can't see it, it doesn't exist to a patient until it calcifies, turns into calculus, and then that's what they can see. And that's what they think they need to come back for. Mm -hmm. When actually, if we're highlighting the biofilm, talking about biofilm, saying the word biofilm again and again and again, never saying the word tartar, never saying the word calculus, then we're teaching them things that are causing them to realize they have a susceptibility to disease. Now, in the health belief model, which is a behavior change model, a patient won't make changes unless they believe they're susceptible to disease. And let's take perio patients out of the equation. Some patients are not susceptible to perio, some patients are. Caries, for example, systemic health diseases, none of us are exempt from something that biofilm can cause. So we are all susceptible to biofilm-related diseases. And so patients need to know that. And so, you know, if they've said something in the medical history, like diabetes, for example, then I'm bringing that into the conversation. If they say they, um, you know, they're trying for a baby, then I'm bringing that into the conversation mm-hmm. with biofilm. If they talk to me about the fact that they, um, they're feeling menopausal, then we're talking about menopause and biofilm and, and how inflammation can, you know, cause systemic health diseases and stuff. So it, by highlighting the biofilm, by making that predominantly the only thing we're focusing on in the appointment that's causing disease, then um, then we are really making changes with our patients. It's a, it's a game changer. It is. And I know you mentioned that none of us are immune from this. And it's so true because when I went to see um, the hygienist recently who did this process for me, she exactly pointed out where I was missing. And she was going through, you know, like I mentioned, I usually go over my teeth really quickly. I do the full two minutes, but I move the toothbrush. So she was saying you need to hold it for a good three seconds before you move on. And honestly, since doing that, it has made a big difference. I have noticed the big change. But how would you usually go about creating the oral hygiene routine bespoke and tailored to that patient to help prevent problems in the interim? Because obviously, even if we do see them regularly, as you mentioned, biofilm is something that builds up quite quickly and is is a consistent ongoing thing. It's not a one off thing. So how would you go about creating a um, plan for them that they can maintain and that's going to be super effective? Well, again, that comes down to the education and your health instruction. So. You know, their their home care is nothing I do for two to four t- hours a year mm. at best is, is as effective as what they're doing for. I think it works out at like one thousand four hundred and sixty hours a year if they're doing the bare minimum. Um. So uh, so yeah, what they do at home is of some more importance. So yeah, it's it's things like using the test drive um, in in the surgery and actually performing the the routine that they need to perform at home with them in the chair. Um, before I do any treatment myself. So it's, you know, that is the most important thing. I'm not even going to pick up a tool until we've shown you that this is what what's the most important thing. And, and, um, and yeah, bespoke for them. And do you find that the patient uptake of the instructions is usually good? Or do you find that it varies from patient to patient? Is it a certain type of patient that responds well to the instructions and certain that don't? Or do you find that when they come to see you, and uh, they're quite heavily invested in their um, health anyway, so they're quite good at picking up the instructions you give them. I'll be honest with you, experience has taught me, because um, I've been qualified a while now, 
patients want prescriptive advice. Mm -hmm. They do not want, at the end of the appointment, use an electric toothbrush instead of a manual, it's better for you. Because that Mm -hmm. sounds like my opinion. Mm -hmm. They need to be taught the mechanism of their disease or potential disease or disease risk factors. Um, One, to teach them susceptibility, but also um, so that they can start understanding the importance of removing biofilm. Mm -hmm. And then they want an actual toothbrush to buy. So for me, obviously, it's oral BIO. Um, I have vouchers I give them. I circle it. I give them discount Mm -hmm. codes. I'm like, this is the one. You do Mm -hmm. not need an IO. You don't need a, you know, I wouldn't say get a oral B. It doesn't matter which one you get as long as you get one. Mm -hmm. Or I wouldn't say use a toothpaste. It doesn't matter as long as it's got fluoride in it. Mm -hmm. You know, if a patient's got sensitivity, this is the toothpaste. If a patient has got um, implants, this is the toothpaste. If a patient, and then every patient is electric toothbrush because the evidence base shows that that's Mm -hmm. the most effective way to remove biofilm. So for me, I'm like, I'm giving you a, a name and a prescriptive mm-hmm. thing to buy. This is the right one for you. And they always, 99% of the time, will get exactly what I say because I'm not keeping it open. They want, and I think there's a study that even proves this, patients want prescriptive advice based on what they need, mm-hmm. not something generic because, you know, like just go and get an electric toothbrush. They want to be told in a model. They want to be told which one is right for them. And people will invest. If you talk about health, or a health optimization if you're talking about health if you're talking about disease susceptibility if you're talking about um their risk factors they will invest in their health and that makes sense you know i feel like when it's like anything if you have too much choice you kind of become paralyzed whereas if someone tells you that this is what you need to do and especially after examining you and going through all of that it just makes sense for them to do that that's really helpful um the stuff you mentioned about going get an electric toothbrush or anything with fluoride sounds like stuff i would say <laughs> <laughs> and i used to i used to be the same and and for me it, it probably was um as i started working more and more with oral b and learning more about like the technology between you know between that toothpaste compared to another toothpaste like mm. it, i used to say as long as it's got fluoride in but I started learning the difference between sodium fluoride and stannous fluoride and mm. how stannous had an effect, whereas sodium is like a carrier. It doesn't really have an effect. So as I started learning more and more about that, I was like, mm. actually, I want them to start using stannous. And then this one I like for implants. And this one's got more stannous in, so it's better for someone with, with periodontitis. And then if that patient's got sensitivity, then actually I want them to be using something with this in it. And, mm. and being able to give – and it also gives the patient – a bit more confidence in me as a clinician because I'm like, oh, actually, that one I gave you, I said to use last time, I'm going to change that today because now I'm noticing this in your mouth and I think we need to have something with a bit more of this in. And they're like, oh, God, she really knows this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and I like being guided to use something based on my needs. It kind of gives them a confidence in I'm assessing them every time and things might change, just like I might change a recall. You yeah. know, if I've got you on a six-month recall and then all of a sudden things have gone downhill, I'm bringing you down to a three-month, yeah. you know, you tell me you're pre-diabetic. I'm bringing it down to a three-month recall. Yeah. Three-month recalls aren't working for us. Let's bring it down to a two-month recall. Like mm-hmm. I'm changing things every time based on the assessment, which is obviously step one of GBT protocol. Um, it seems to show that it's it reinforces the importance of regular care. It's not yeah. something that you see um, you see the healthcare professional once and then that's it. You have to come back because your situation changes. You know your needs change. Um, and also building that report. And I think I agree with you in that if you can prove to your patient that you know what you're talking about and you build that report, they trust you and they'll come back to you again and again and they'll have the treatment that you recommend and they'll buy the products yep. that you recommend because they know that uh, they need it. And it's yep. investing, isn't it? It's it's that word that's investing means that you are getting a return on on what you're putting in. Yeah. Um, how would you generally like to see because I know the dental hygiene therapy, we spoke about GBT coming into play probably 2008 when you started using it was the early days. And I would say that it's changed a lot, even in the last 
five years. So how would you like to see um, hygiene therapy progress over the next few years in, in the UK? Well, I started using it in 2018, but... Um... <laughs> it was around one. <laughs> I was like, I don't... I was like, old do I? Um, no, 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 I'm only, I'm only playing. So yeah, I mean, I'm a dental hygienist. I'm not a dental therapist. I think therapists, they need to be used to their full scope of practice because um, I think that, um, yeah, they're really, really underutilized. In terms of dental hygiene, was the question how dental hygiene could sort of progress in the future? I think, um, oh, but I, it's such an exciting time to be a hygienist. It really, really is. The more we find out about systemic health and oral health links, we really are like the front runners in the practice to be able to bring that to our patients. And I think um, the hygienist should be seen as like a cornerstone of the practice. They, every patient goes through the hygienist. I mean, at, the, at my practice, I'm kind of like a gatekeeper for treatment. It makes me feel really valued as a clinician. It also means that my patients value me more as a clinician. Um, and I think that's the way that hygienists should be seen in a practice where, you know, we're responsible for health and we're responsible for making sure that the treatments are um, prevent, you know, that, that they are going to be good treatment outcomes, they're long lasting, that we're the prevention drivers in the practice. I think we really should be seen as a cornerstone. And I, I think every practice needs to start seeing the hygiene department as something that's really valuable. Um, yeah, and just a cornerstone for every practice. I think really. that's a really important point that you made about being a gatekeeper for treatment, because in our practice, for example, we the hygienists will see the patients and they are very religious about seeing the hygienist regularly. Even if they don't see the dentist for regular checkups, they see the hygienist for regular checkups. And it's always the hygienist has cleaned everything and now they can see that these treatments are required. Or if the patient is thinking about having cosmetic treatment and they finally got their gums under control, they've got their oral hygiene um, maintained and is really, really good, then it's time for them to take the next step to have that implant, the composite bonding, the Invisalign. So that's very, very important. And it it, it is a good practice builder as well just to refer between in the in the, in the practice and know that the patient's being looked after from everyone and they actually enjoy it you know I usually will pop in when the hygienist is seeing my patient and I will say hi and vice versa so it just helps build rapport with patients as well and as we know um word of mouth is the biggest practice builder and when patients feel valued and they feel like you're looking after them as a whole um then it really goes a long way in them trusting you and referring patients on as well Oh, absolutely. 100% agree. Well, you know, we're probably seeing patients more um, than every other clinician. And so it's really um, some something we can do to help be um, build rapport with patients and, and try and sort of really build that loyalty with patients as well. Because as we know, in this day and age, patients are the mo- aren't the most loyal um, with, with the ability to be able to go to any practice and go and do cosmetic dentistry anywhere and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, the hygienist is a great one to try and keep that loyalty with the patient as well. Thank you so much, Claire, for joining me today. I feel that you're really passionate about all this stuff. And honestly, it is such important topics to talk about and understand. And, you know, for all of us as as oral healthcare professionals to refresh and understand that actually um, the foundations of building oral health for the patient is the foundation of everything else. And we need to be doing that correctly. Yeah. And um, I hope that more and more people start using the terminology oral health optimization. It's something that we created at our practice. And I really, I think it really, um, explains what we do well and I hope it catches on. 
I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things. I know I certainly did. And as always, don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manicherry. I always love hearing your responses. And if you have any requests for future podcast episodes, please let me know there. I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular. As always, there will be a new episode every week. So please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode. And I can't wait to speak to you soon.
I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things. I know I certainly did. And as always, don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manicherry. I always love hearing your responses. And if you have any requests for future podcast episodes, please let me know there. I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular. As always, there will be a new episode every week. So please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. And I can't wait to speak to you soon.